The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When a young man sees a ghost standing in his living room, he realizes <laughs> ghosts are real. I guess, I guess ghosts really do exist. But this one has a twist. And then we travel to Pennsylvania to meet a young man who is tasked with trying to complete an impossible task. Set up a computer for an elderly couple and then teach them how to use it. While this man may be braver than most of us, his courage is truly put to the test when he comes face to face with an insectoid. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun out there in the world. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so we're going to get started right away. First off, slithering on the ground of Dead Rabbit Command, everyone give it up for our newest Patreon supporter, Extension Cord. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah! Watch him slither! The more you clap, the closer he gets to the outlet. Wee! Okay, now he's in. Extension Cord, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. That's a real Patreon's name. You guys are like, Jason, you're clearly just making stuff up now. You just want to advertise your Patreon. You're like, looking around your house, you're like, uh, tomorrow we'll be sponsored by Blender. Extension Cord, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand it. I really do. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Command. It helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, talk about it online. That also helps the show grow. Extension cord, I'm going to go ahead and tie you around the steering wheel of the Jason Jalopy. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. Drive us all the way out to a haunted house. This is one of those stories where we don't have a location. It was posted online anonymously. And it was written by a guy named Prosciutto Pizza. Prosciutto? Prosciutto Pizza, we're going to go ahead and call you Jerry. Jerry says, the story takes place back when I was in high school. I lived in a haunted house. Not like one of those, you know, like Halloween haunted houses where like, people jump out jump out at you and stuff like that. It's all it's on my bucket list to work in a haunted house. Like one of those, like, it doesn't even have to be like a big haunted house, like Six Flags or nothing like that. Even like a local regional haunted house would be super dope. Like you have a job for a couple weeks and then it's you don't have it anymore but you've like for three weeks you're giving it your all i'm like jumping out of hay bales and spraying fake blood on people i'm doing that in the parking lot they're like jason we told you you weren't hired this is one of those biblical haunted houses where we talk about sins get out of here i'm spraying blood at the pastor i'll be back tomorrow night sir i've always wanted to do that i think it'd be totally dope but that's not the type of haunted house he's living in he's living in a real haunted house He's living in a haunted house. And he goes, here's the thing. Like, we all knew it was haunted. And it was the traditional things you would associate with a haunted house. He goes, you'd hear footsteps throughout the house when everyone was accounted for. 
Every so often something would fall off the shelf. It, it's interesting because a lot of people think that's incredibly common because we see it in movies all the time. When stuff's getting knocked off your shelf, you that's a, a rarer type of ghost. Uh, sounds are quite easy, it appears, for a ghost to do. But for people to go, oh, I just lived in an ordinary haunted house. <laughs> Stuff was flying off of the shelves. It's actually quite rare. That's when you're getting into poltergeist activity. Most hauntings are just noises or smells. And that was another thing he said. He goes, every so often you could catch the whiff of cigar smoke. But I didn't really see anything. <laughs> He's saying that as a book is hovering around his head. He goes, oh, that's normal. But I'm talking about I never actually saw a ghost in this house. Until... One day, Jerry said that he was in the kitchen. He's standing in the kitchen, and something catches his eye. And he turns, and he looks into the living room, and he sees a translucent apparition. Now, even though we don't have a specific location for this haunting, he does describe this ghost as wearing colonial-style clothing. Almost pilgrim-like. So we'll assume it's like the East Coast of the United States. He said the reason why he... The, the, what caught his eye, really, when he saw this ghost was two things. First off, that he's looking at a translucent person. But he said the clothing looked old-fashioned. It, it definitely wasn't modern clothing. And he said that the pants were... It, it, they appeared to be tucked into the socks. Which is how the uh, pilgrims wore it, right? And... The apparition had no head. And he doesn't say that it walked away. He doesn't say that it blinked away. But at some point it left. It's not there to this day. He's like, yeah, I'm charging people $5 a head to get it. <laughs> to come in here and look at this headless ghost. No, at some point that he, he vanished. The ghost vanished. And Jerry goes, it does make sense. Because this house was built in the 1700s. We would definitely have. If anyone was going to show up in this house. Which is haunted. That it would be the apparition of, of a guy in colonial clothing. It's interesting because Jerry's already lived in a haunted house. He's already heard things and smelled things and had stuff fall off shelves. He doesn't particularly say it was hovering around him or, or hitting him in the face or anything funny. But he sees a guy. Just imagine he's like eating an apple. Jerry's all... And then he looks over and he sees a translucent man with no head in colonial garb. And he's like, I'm just going to take another bite of this apple. I'm still hungry. Well, when Jerry's dad came home that day, Jerry goes, hey, dad, you know, this is nuts. Um, I was eating an apple. <laughs> I was eating an apple. He doesn't, he doesn't know how to tell stories. Like, it was a warm, sunny day this afternoon, and I was hungry for an apple. Eventually, he gets to the point, and he goes, I saw a ghost. I saw a headless ghost, and he was dressed in peculiar clothes, to say the least. And the dad, as he's describing... This is such an interesting ghost story. I, I know that I've kind of buried the lead. I took a long time to get to it, too. But this is so interesting. As Jerry is telling his father this story, the dad's just uh, go like, uh-huh. <laughs> he's, like, listening to this story. And then he's like... Jerry's describing the clothing, and the dad's like, yeah, okay. The dad goes, well, you know... Um, the dad says, that's very, inter <laughs> very interesting. You saw proof of life after death, son. I have something to add to that story. Um, you remember Uncle Mike? Uncle Mike, he, he died a couple months ago. Jerry's like, yeah, yeah, I remember Uncle Mike. And he goes, yeah, uh, you know, we have this urn of his ashes, and I'm going to bury them in the backyard. 
And so I'd actually taken his ashes and I moved the urn outside in preparation that I was going to bury him later today or tomorrow. Whenever I get around to it, the raccoons are playing with it. So, yeah, uh, I think that might have had something to do with the apparition you saw in the house today. It was the fact that I moved the urn and the ashes out into the backyard. And what Jerry, this is so crazy, what Jerry realized in that moment was, because, you know, he was describing it all to his dad, and then once the dad mentioned Uncle Mike, Jerry's like, oh, dude. Uncle Mike used to be big into softball. He played a lot of softball, and it wasn't an old-timey colonial outfit he was wearing. It was like an old-timey softball uniform. I don't know how old I mean, but it might have been one of those lame baggy ones. But the point is, is that the pants were tucked into the socks. So through through the translucent haze, the colonial clothes looked like you're like, Jason, this is not as interesting. Right. As I'm saying it out loud, I, I still think it's pretty interesting. It wasn't a colonial ghost. It was an Uncle Mike ghost. It was a softball uniform. That looked like he played for the Colonials. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it would make sense. Like, you're seeing this ghost, and you're, you go, yeah, pants tucked into socks. Uh, the Colonial, right? You wouldn't immediately think of some adult softball league. And Uncle Mike blew his brains out. So that's why he doesn't have a head. I don't think that Uncle Mike, he wasn't the ghost that was making the footsteps. We don't really have a timeline. We don't have a a timeline here. Um, But he doesn't connect any of the other paranormal activity. He doesn't also go, oh, and Uncle Mike loves smoking cigars. (laughs) He loves smoking cigars and making books ever in midair. Those are his favorite hobbies other than adult softball. I I think the place was haunted. The place was haunted before this family even got there. And when they brought home Uncle Mike's, and that's a, I made that name up. I don't know what his uncle's actual name is, but when they bring Uncle Mike's ashes home, his spirit joined the revelry. And it's interesting because I I don't necessarily think the spirit was connected to the ashes because I don't think the physical form really has much of a connection, but it would be connected to the emotional energy of the people living in that house, the people who missed him the most, his family. This ghost tags along, but it has no form whatsoever. It has no energy. But it's now you've moved a recently deceased spirit into an actively haunted house that's going to be able to charge itself off that energy and manifest. Which is, again, one of the rarer forms of ghosts. Those are the stories you hear the most about because they're so weird and creepy. But most ghostly activity is sounds and smells. And then apparitions. And then moving things. So this was a super active house. I don't think Uncle Mike was the original ghost. I think that this ghost was able to manifest because this place had so much energy already in it. And when they moved the ashes out, it, I, the ghost show. I don't know. It's an interesting. The whole story is interesting as to why you would bury ashes in the backyard. When the ghost shows up, I guess you have to ask yourself, are you going to listen to the ghost? Was the ghost saying one last goodbye? Or was he trying to appear because he didn't want to be buried in the backyard? I mean, I'm sure eventually they did bury him back there. It's fa- is his ghost still there? Has he joined the collection of spirits? Is he there so he can spend more time with his family? Is he trapped? 
because they brought him to a house that is just not necessarily a positive conductor of paranormal energy, but a vortex that's keeping souls trapped there. Who knows? Lots of hypothetical questions, but a very interesting story. <laughs> very interesting story about getting your clothes wrong. You thought you saw a colonial ghost, but really it was a dead relative who died fairly recently. And I've always wondered, like, how many ghosts we see where they're like, oh, if you look down this hallway at 3 a.m., you'll see a ghost of a maid wearing old-timey Downton Abbey clothes. And it was really like some sex <laughs> some sex fetish party, some girl dressed up as a maid, and then tripped and landed on a broken wine bottle and slit her throat open. She bled all over the floor. And then now that's her. That's her ghost. And she's trapped in Downton Abbey clothes for the rest of time. Who knows? It's probably more likely some old-timey ghost. But it could be just a costume. And then you have the whole idea of... This is what I'm actually doing my... I'm doing that. I know it sounds like I keep promoting it. And I am. I'm doing a presentation at the Oregon Ghost Conference on March 24th in Seaside, Oregon. And we are going to be talking... Is it March 24th? I better double-check that that's the date here. Hold on. I'll be doing a presentation on, yeah, I'm doing a presentation on March 24th at the Oregon Ghost Conference. And we're talking about how the spirit is or looks after death. Like, could you imagine not having a head as a ghost? I mean, we don't know what it's like to be a ghost. Maybe you see through your fingertips, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of good ghost cigar shops out there. You want to smoke? I mean, like, what is it? You would think if it was true that the, the manner in which you died is the manner in which you haunt, which, see, I don't believe. I don't believe that, but there's so many ghosts that, like, are walking around no heads. You figure the, you know, the old rap saying, protect your neck, would become a philosophy. Like, the whole idea of life would be die with a perfect body, otherwise you'll be floating around in the afterlife with no head. I mean, let me just give you a little advice. Don't let anything happen to your head anyways, whether or not ghosts are real. You're like, oh, I don't believe in ghosts. You're like banging your head with sledgehammers. Don't do that. It's just interesting. Like, do we need to make sure we don't die certain deaths? Does that make a difference in how... Ghost lore is divided on this. Sometimes you get a ghost with no head and they died by most likely, you know, shooting themselves in the head or they were beheaded during life. But then there are other, like, soldiers who get blown to bits by, a, a you know, a bomb in some godforsaken battlefield, and their ghost is fine walking around. It's an interesting question, and, and we don't know as paranormal researchers why some ghosts are totally just, like, banged up. They're all covered in blood, no head, missing limbs, and then other ghosts who also died in horrible ways. Most drowned ghosts aren't blue. Most drowned ghosts don't have snails crawling out of their nose. Or a hermit crab living in their brain. I mean, so what is it? What is it? But anyways, a fascinating question, fascinating story. <laughs> fascinating way for me to advertise Oregon Ghost Conference, March 24th. Come out and see me. This will be a lot of fun. Extension cord, let's go ahead and plug you into the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind this haunted house. Take us all the way out to Pennsylvania. Specifically, we're headed out to Lackawanna County, Pennsylvania. I found this story on the amazing websites phantomsandmonsters.com. Check it out. They got new, they got, like I've said before, they 
have more articles on that site than I could ever cover on this show, so I recommend everyone check them out. It's a great website. This story was originally sent or posted by a guy named PM, just his initials. We're going to go ahead and call you Peter. This story starts off in 2002, when Peter was 14 years old. And a friend of his goes, hey, Peter, I know you're really good with setting up computers. I know you're a, you're a whiz. You're also very handsome and looks like you're strong. Have you been working out? And Peter goes, okay, what do you want me to do? <laughs> Obviously, you're trying to butter me up to do something that most people would find painful. And the friend goes, yeah, that's pretty much what I'm doing. I'm wondering if you can set up my grandparents' computer. I've done it. I've done it. Not for these. I'm not Peter. I am admitting that I'm the one who told this story. No, everyone, I think anyone who knows anything about computers has had to set one up for an elderly person or program their mother's phone or stop their printer from shooting out paper across the room. Anyone who knows anything about tech support has been dragged into this scenario at one point or another. And that's why I feel Peter's pain. Peter's like, oh man, I thought I was going to have fun tonight. Instead, I'm going to be putting these people's... Not only does he have to assemble the computer, he then needs to load the software up, which at this point in time is probably the AOL disk they got in the mail, and then he needed to do a tutorial. (laughs) It's like all the worst possible things you could do. But anyways, Peter says, sure, I'll do it. And he rides his bike over to his friend's grandparents' house. When Peter gets there, he finds that the only people in the house are the grandparents and their six-year-old granddaughter. She was visiting. They originally tried having her set up the computer, and she's like, I can't even spell the word. What am I supposed to do with these cables? So they send her to a room. She is fast asleep. Peter is there. He sets up the computer, loads up all the software, and does the tutorial. This is a mouse. This is a browser. This is your monitor. <laughs> They're all like, whoa, 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 slow down there, Einstein. What's going on? The, the monitor is not the computer, by the way. They're two separate pieces. They're like, you're blowing my mind, man. Anyways, after everything is set up, all the software is loaded and the presentation is over, Peter is ready to go. It's time to leave. And the grandparents are very thankful. Hey, we know this wasn't an easy task. Thank you so much for setting this up for us. We will email you tomorrow with a whole new list of questions. First question, how to use email? And he's like, uh. After the presentation is done, Peter's ready to leave. The grandparents are now sitting on the couch in the living room. But before Peter can actually walk out the front door, suddenly a cold breeze sweeps through the entire room. When this happens, Peter sees both of the grandparents turn and begin staring into the kitchen. And Peter's looking at the grandparents, and he's like, what? And he turns, and he looks into the kitchen as well. And he sees what they're staring at. Standing in the kitchen are two gray aliens. You know, they look like the traditional gray alien, except for two details. One, their eyes seem to be a little bit farther to the sides of their heads. Gray aliens... The eyes are normally in the front of the face, like a human's eyes. He also said they were wearing silver jumpsuits. He also said not only were the eyes farther apart than he had seen in drawings or in movie or television shows of aliens, he goes, these gray aliens were taller than I had imagined gray aliens to be, and their necks were thicker. 
They also wore silver jumpsuits. Now, on any given day, two gray aliens appearing in your kitchen or, or somebody else's kitchen if you're visiting them would be shocking and probably the most exciting thing, at the very least the most exciting thing you've seen that day, if not ever. But there was another figure standing in this room that was running the show. This was the main attraction. Standing in between these two gray aliens was an insectoid. These giant bipedal insect creatures, they're very rare in UFO stories. I love them. I think they're super cool. I think they're super cool. I think the idea of the insectoid race is just there's so much you could do with it. As they're ripping me apart, I'm like, oh, this is so awesome, dude. Lay eggs in my stomach. That's also awesome, too. He's like, what? You're, you're enjoying this a little too much. Insectoid aliens, I love. There's a giant insectoid also standing in the kitchen, towering over the greys. And he was wearing a black robe with a yellow stripe going down the middle. So an insectoid alien garbed in a flowing black robe and then two gray aliens flanking it with silver jumpsuits. Peter is shocked about what he's seen, but he's also shocked by the fact that the grandparents don't seem to be particularly worried about what is going on. Peter said the insectoid and the aliens walked out of the kitchen and began to move through the house. They were gone for about a minute, and then the insectoid and the gray aliens began walking back towards the kitchen, but now the insectoid is carrying the six-year-old granddaughter in its arms. The insectoid looks at Peter, and Peter's looking at this praying mantis-type alien. They've locked eyes, and Peter goes, listen, I don't know how I got this feeling. I didn't get a telepathic signal. It definitely didn't say anything to me, but somehow, when this thing was staring at me, I understood that this creature knew who I was. I don't know how he knew that, and I don't know how I knew that he knew that, but I knew that. When he looked at me, I could tell in some way that he knew who I was. And the whole time the grandparents are just sitting there. Now they're watching what's going on. They're not like turning on the television. They're all cranking the volume up. They're like, oh, that insectoid, his chittering is so annoying. No, they were watching it in silence. They were watching these aliens move through the house, go to the granddaughter's room, and now they're coming out with the granddaughter And they're just not doing anything about it. And Peter's obviously, he's in shock. He's terrified. He doesn't know what to do. He's only 14 years old. But finally, he realizes the grandparents aren't going to stop. Whatever whatever is about to happen isn't going to be good. The grandparents aren't going to do anything about it. I have to do something about it. And Peter said, I took one step towards these aliens. I took one step and the grandfather reached out and grabbed my arm. And he said, quote, they will bring her back. 
at that point, the aliens are now in the kitchen, and a light materialized around the four of them. The mantis is still holding the little girl in his arms. This light materializes, and then they vanish. The three aliens and the little girl just disappear. And Peter said, It was interesting. The light appeared out of nowhere. Everyone vanished, but then there was this odd glow left behind that remains for a few seconds after whatever this was, this teleportation sequence or whatever. He goes, you saw this glow last for a couple seconds and then slowly fade away. Peter's just standing there completely. What words would you even use? He'd basically have every human emotion, every negative human emotion going on through him right now. He doesn't know what happened. He's perplexed. He's terrified. But all of this stuff, he doesn't understand why no one did anything to stop this. So he's just standing there and he goes, maybe a minute passed. There was just silence. I'm standing there. The grandparents are sitting on the couch. And what do you even say? I'm shocked that I saw this. And then the grandpa says, once again, they will bring her back. Peter says about a minute passes of stunned silence. How would you react to any of this? You just saw, in the most minimalist of terms, a a six-year-old girl get kidnapped. But it wasn't just that, was it? There was aliens and teleportation. And the fact that the grandparents, the people who should be protecting this girl, let it happen. And a minute passes of silence in this house, and it is finally broken when the grandfather says, once again, and this is a direct quote both times, They will bring her back. Peter got on his bike and took off. He said, the whole time I was riding home, I felt like something was following me. Something was ready to snatch me right off my bike. I was petrified. But he made it home. And he couldn't sleep. Which is understandable, right? Again, at the very least, you saw a six-year-old girl get kidnapped in front of you. He couldn't sleep. The next day, he asks his friend about what could possibly have happened. He goes, hey, remember the other night? I set up your grandparents' computer. (laughs) I didn't expect this. I expected to spend a couple hours explaining to them the difference between a modem and a CD-ROM. No. Three aliens showed up and kidnapped their granddaughter. One of your relatives, you guys are all part of the same family. What in the world's going on? Do you know anything about this? And and Peter says, his friend explained to him, this isn't the first time that's happened. Like, I'm sorry to put you in that position. I didn't know the night you were going over was kidnapping night. But this isn't the first time that it's happened. He goes, this has happened a lot. And every time it's happened, people have tried to stop it. The grandparents have tried to stop it. Other family members who had been there when this happened tried to stop it. But they never could. They can never stop this from happening. And they always brought her back. In fact, I'll tell you right now, Peter, she did come back home a couple hours after you left. They did bring her back that night. Because they always do. And there's no way to stop it. So you just let it happen.
Peter said shortly after this event, the entire family moved out of the area. So not just the grandparents, but everybody. Everyone who was a part of his family, they just moved. And he lost contact with his friend and with the grandparents. He doesn't really know what happened after that one night. It's a very interesting story. What I love about it, other than having one of my favorite alien races involved in it, the insectoid, we can really take this story apart. I, I'll try not to drone on too quickly. Get it? You're like, no, okay, let me explain. A lot of times gray aliens are considered drones. Some people, some UFOologists say that they are part of their own race. While there's other UFOologists who believe that the grays are actually bio-drones. They're like organic material or they're actual robots, but they're constructs. They have no feelings. They have no emotions. They're basically the same as a tractor on Earth. It's a vehicle or a mechanism meant to carry out a study. What's interesting about this one is the two gray aliens, their eyes are farther off to the sides of their heads than the normal gray alien. Almost like an insectoid. Insectoid aliens don't have the eyes right in front of their head. They're kind of offset to the sides as well. Not completely on the sides, but... So it's almost like the gray aliens, they were being manufactured to serve the race they were with in this story because there's are some the, the gray aliens wearing clothes we actually see that a lot in ufo stories like actual people's encounters with gray aliens in television and movie shows gray aliens don't wear clothes but when you dig through the reports gray aliens wearing clothes are very very common so the silver jumpsuits that doesn't. That's not really a signifier of anything. That's just they do tend to wear clothes from time to time. But the larger necks, they're actually a little bit taller than the average gray alien, or the thicker neck, taller than the average gray alien, and the eyes kind of offset. Makes me think these may have been. If not, if we don't go with the gray, because I don't know if I'm sold on that. The gray aliens are just tools. They're just kind of like mindless drones. Whether or not they're mindless drones or they do have their own unique personality, their own unique race, these ones may have been genetically modified by the insectoids to appear more like them. So that's an interesting little tidbit. But you're like, Jason, actually the most interesting tidbit is the six-year-old getting kidnapped. You're talking about fashion choices. Well, this is what is so interesting to me about ufoology with ghosts it is a very one-on-one ghosts don't seem to be more powerful than the average human they don't seem uniquely strong sure they can float through walls and they can throw stuff at you and like if you punch them your hand just goes through them but ghosts basically seem to be limited to the strength level of a human aliens have been nerfed a lot, again, when we talk about like television shows and movies, but when you dig through the lore, aliens are incredibly powerful beings. And we see a lot of, even when you look through the reports of missing time and things like that, um, being knocked unconscious, uh, we've done a whole episode about our gray aliens evolved from dolphins because they both have the same type of sonic attacks. All this interesting stuff in the lore. When you watch movies and television, the gray aliens are just like, we come in peace, clean your environment. But in real life, I mean, the we've come across aliens that were bulletproof. We've come across aliens that people have tried stabbing them and the knife just slides off their skin. They can also be incredibly strong. Again, outside of all of the paranormal stuff, teleportation and mind wiping people, 
a lot of these aliens, you you could not go toe-to-toe with a reptilian or an insectoid. They would gut you on the spot. Great aliens do seem to be quite frail. They seem to be built basically for, you know, pressing buttons on computers, flying spaceships. If they are a designed race, they're not built for combat. But reptilians and insectoids are. Like, whatever world they evolved on must be hell because they're just built to kill. And so, at the end of the day, like, this insectoid could have just massacred everyone in this house and not have thought twice about it. You could have been a house of the... It's just the way the power level of these things is off the charts. But what I like is that the insectoid wasn't doing that. However... The people did try to stop this from happening before, and they never could. We don't get any info on if they were physically harmed or they had some sort of psionic block on them that they couldn't move. But to the point where the grandfather was resigned to just, like, not even get up off the couch. He's not even pretending. He has a guest over. He's not even like, oh, great, now i got to pretend that I can do this. He knew it was fruitless. He knew that they were going to take her no matter what. These beings were just far too powerful for the average human to interact with. He had tried before. Other family members had tried before. And it has failed every single time. So this, and it would have had to have been a ton of times for you to not even, for you to not even get off the couch. It's that idea of the Groundhog Day syndrome, right? Even by day five or day 50, you may still be trying to figure out the mystery, but by the by the two hundredth time this had happened, you're just like, whatever. I'm just gonna lay in bed. <laughs> you hear the sound of the six year old getting kidnapped. You're like, there's nothing we can do, and they always bring her back. So if I don't do anything, they're gonna bring her back. If I do something, there's a chance that I could get injured, or that they won't bring her back. You know. I think that's kind of implied as well. If you ended up injuring these beans, if you set a trap for them or busted out a shotgun and took out one of the gray aliens, blew away half of his skull, you may never see your daughter again. That teleportation's still going to happen. They're just bringing up one less alien. So it's a super interesting story. It's quite creepy. The idea of how powerless a human is. We are the dominant species on this planet, but... On this planet is the key part of that sentence. You know, at any point, these more powerful beings can show up and do whatever they want. And there's nothing you can do about it. And that's the key takeaway to really UFO stories. Their technology is greater than ours. Their scientific understanding, hand in hand with the technology, would be greater than ours. It's just raw power. It's just raw, unadulterated power that we can't even understand. We have it in our sci-fi shows, and we have scientists working around the clock all over the world to move an atom from one millimeter away. No, it's not even a millimeter. It's even closer than that. But to make like a molecule jump and go, look at, look at, we're working towards teleportation. Aliens can do that with three dudes and then pick up a fourth and then just go back home. Like, we can't even comprehend that. And that's like their Sunday. That's like what they, that's just what they do to get around. So they're, they outmatch us on science. 
a lot of the races out match us on physical power. We have had stories of people shooting aliens, sure. We have had aliens get killed by humans with shotguns or rifles or whatever it is. We have had stories of UFOs getting shot down by fighter craft, but they're incredibly rare. When you look at the amount of alien encounters that we have versus the amount of alien encounters that when they come down to some sort of physical conflict, the humans win... It's incredibly rare. And again, you have that survivor bias. We don't have the accounts of the times the aliens killed the humans. There was an encounter that went sideways and the aliens killed everybody because there's no one to tell that story. So we only have the stories where people survive alien encounters. And I think that may also skew how we feel. And and I'm talking about hand-to-hand combat at this point. Great aliens might be incredibly strong, but anyone who's ever gone toe-to-toe with one and lost... There's no one to tell the story. And the people who haven't physically gone after gray aliens, they go, I don't know, he had skinny arms, he looks like a big old wimp. It's a fascinating story. What do you do when an overwhelming force takes the person you love? It's a simple question, but it has no answer. If it was a armed raid from across your nation's borders where they broke in and they sacked the town and took all the women back home with them, the town population could get what guns they had left and rally an army and go to take them back. We've seen that happen throughout history. But if an invading army simply teleported into your house and took your wife and then teleported away, First off, where where do you even attack? Where did this army come from? Who are they? Overwhelming force, superior technology, massive physical strength differences. All of these things add up to make humans quite weak on the galactic scale. So when these encounters do happen, when this really, for lack of a better term, invading force, kidnaps the ones we love the most, we know we can't defeat them. We know we can't fight back. All we can do is hope that they bring our loved ones back. But if they don't, there's still nothing we can do about it. deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Deadrabbitradio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.